0: to getting Legal With It, a podcast for Colorado young lawyers by Colorado young lawyers. I'm your host, Kevin Chaney. For those listening to us for the first time, I'm a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer here in Colorado. I graduated from the University of Colorado Law School in 2014 and founded my practice, Chaney Galuzzi and Howard LLC, a short time later. I'm a member of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association, where I serve on its board, executive committee, and legislative committee. I also serve on the Colorado Bar Association's Board of Governors and the CBA Executive Committee and the CBA Young Lawyers Division Executive Council. Finally, I'm a member of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar Association. If you're interested in learning more about any of these wonderful organizations, please feel free to shoot me an email at kevin at com. This podcast is created and sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you bi-weekly episodes with information that is both fun and informative for young lawyers. We have some awesome guests lined up and we are just getting started. If you like our podcast, please, please, please leave us a review and tell your colleagues. With that, let's jump right in. I'm really excited for our guest here today, Raquel Hernandez. Raquel is a compassionate advocate who enjoys helping families navigate our complex judicial system. Raquel brings insight from behind the bench with her combined experience of a year and three months of being a law clerk. In the 19th Judicial District of Weld County, Raquel clerked for two judges and a magistrate, all of whom had a domestic relations docket. In her capacity as a law clerk, Raquel provided research memorandums and composed the final drafts of the first drafts of the court's orders, amongst other responsibilities responsibilities. responsibilities. In the fourth judicial district, El Paso County, as a law student, Raquel participated in the court's summer law clerk program, where she clerked for a judge with a mixed docket of criminal and domestic relations. In addition to her law clerk experience, Raquel has further insight in the dependency and neglect field from when she interned as a law student for the Florida Department of Children and Family Children's Legal Services. Raquel attended undergraduate school at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, earning a bachelor's degree in history. For law school, Raquel attended Florida Coastal School of Law, receiving a certificate in family law studies and a pro bono certificate. In her free time, Raquel enjoys hiking and camping in the mountains and spending time with her friends, family, and dog. Raquel is also on the Colorado Bar Association Young Lawyers Division Executive Council and recently started as the El Paso County Bar Association New Lawyer Division Chair. Additionally, Raquel enjoys giving back to the local community through her pro bono work via the Justice Center of the El Paso County Bar Association and the clinics held at the courthouse. Well, welcome to the podcast, Raquel. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you, Kevin. I'm doing
0: great. How are you? I am doing all right. We're shooting this on a Friday, so woohoo, we made it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming up from the Springs, a little bit of a journey uh, to shoot this uh, episode, but we're so excited to have you on.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here, and it's actually my first time being back in Denver since the pandemic started.
0: Oh, wow. First time back. Well, hopefully uh, everything will be uh, safe up here and there, there won't be any issues, but uh, welcome back to Denver. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, with uh, before we, I guess, jump into some of our more substantive talk- topics today, I'd like to just get a little bit of ba- background uh, from you. Where are you from?
1: Oh, so that for me is one of the hardest questions. It's going to be like a five-minute conversation or 10-minute conversation.
0: (laughs) It just (laughs) Uh, depends which version you want, right? (laughs) Well, why don't you give us the, the super short version?
1: Okay, super short version is that I am an Air Force brat. I was born in Germany, raised in Florida, but, you know, true heart, Coloradan.
0: Wow. that uh, I've never been to Germany, but I, I hear it's really a, a really cool place. Have you been back since you, you live there?
1: No, I have not been back, but it's on my bucket list for sure.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, so um, obviously uh, from your bio, I know that you went to the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Uh, what brought you to the, the Colorado Springs area? Was there an Air Force connection there or what brought you out there?
1: Yep. So that's going to be my dad being stationed over at Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado Springs. He got stationed here in May of 2000. Mm. So that was right there when I was starting uh, middle school in sixth grade. So I've been here for quite some time. But then at the same time, I started over at CSU Fort Collins and I, I really enjoyed the campus there. I really enjoyed school, but I just felt that I needed a little bit more support for my family. So I mm-hmm. decided, you know what? UCCS is also really good. So that's, that's what brought me back to the Springs.
0: So I grew up uh, in Wyoming, and the University of Wyoming was kind of the arch rivals of CSU. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead on record and say that was awesome that you transferred away because <laughs> nobody wants to be a Ram. I apologize to all the Ram fans out there, but you know it's true. Um, uh, so then what uh, – and then you, you mentioned history, I think you said, in, yeah. in undergrad. Um, did you know – at that time that you wanted to maybe go to some type of graduate or professional school after that, or what What interested you about history?
1: Oh, yes. Um, ever since I was a young child, I always knew I wanted to be an attorney, so I um, kind of just made sure that anything I did really just geared me towards my next goal. Um, particularly with history, I looked to... Um, some resources from my, I want to say it was like a counselor from high school who was talking about um, different steps towards getting to law school. And she was saying that one of them is, um, you know, English majors, history majors, you know, your your political science majors. And for me, I already had an interest in history. So I was like, that's gonna be a perfect stepping stone for me because I knew I wasn't going to get my master's in history. But that it would help me out eventually, hopefully, to my goal of becoming an attorney.
0: You know, it's funny. Uh, I think this is—I think this may be episode ten or episode eleven that we've shot. And other than me, you're the first person I think you actually said that they knew they wanted to be a lawyer kind of early on. And I had the same track. Uh, I uh, was a poli sci major, and obviously, you can't really do much with a poli sci major as a bachelor. Um, but uh, I knew I wanted to go to law school, and so it's—it's it's kind of interesting hearing the different uh, paths that people take, and a lot of people kind of, you know, realize it later in life. So it's just really interesting to hear that there's somebody else that also kind of had that track uh, in mind from a young age and then kind of, you know, took the steps necessary um, to execute it. So uh, I know then that you, uh, did you go directly to Florida coastal law after you graduated college or what did you take some time off? Was there some time in between or tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I did have a year in between and, you know, in hindsight, it maybe didn't need to happen, but at the same time, I felt like there was a lot of growth. I didn't like my LSAT score when I first took it.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, But what's funny about it is the second time around, I didn't score as high. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I I saved money because I knew I wasn't going to get a part-time job in law school. So I continued working as a lifeguard and, um, you know, just hanging out with my friends because I knew I was going to go away.
0: (laughs) Well, the the similarities between us here are are continuing to uh, develop because I also (laughs) took a year off um, of law school and also had a really great time just kind of hanging out with my friends. But then in retrospect, I'm like, did I really necessarily need to do that or not? So um, super interesting. What... What brought you to Florida Coastal Law School? Was there a, um, was Florida interesting to you? Was it the school, something about the program, or kind of what made you choose it?
1: So for Florida Coastal, I have to say um, part of it was just I wanted to kind of touch on my skills of being a military brat, of picking up, going to a new place, and finding new friends and a new environment, but then also at the same time, I knew That it was one of my few freedoms in the sense of I knew I wanted to be in Colorado. Um, Right. My few freedoms of being in Florida close to my maternal grandparents. And at that time, my grandfather had been diagnosed for some time with leukemia. So I was like, you know what? Let me take this personal cut a little bit in terms of, you know, I'm not going to have that Colorado networking. I'm not going to have the knowledge base of practicing Colorado statutes. But at the same time, I was like... My grandpa is not going to be here for the whole time of right. my career, right. um, and he unfortunately did not see me graduate law school, but I was able to be there.
0: I'm sorry to hear that, and I'm sure he would be uh, super proud of, of what you've accomplished you know, it's kind of interesting that you talk about this moving and kind of picking up and kind of having that skill set. Do you think that that has made you a, a better lawyer and better able to understand, I guess, people of different backgrounds because you've lived so many different places and you've kind of moved on a whim and had to build these new networks and new social circles? Do you think that that experience has kind of transitioned or, you know, played a role in the practice of law?
1: Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, that's also how I also got my clerkship, too, is I was willing to look into the system and see where am I going to fit in terms of my practice interests, and then at the same time, I don't mind moving to Greeley. I know it's two and a half (laughs) hours from the Springs, but at the same time, whatever. Right. Um, I knew I'd make friends. I knew I'd had a good time. And then I also, um, seeing my practice now, I have a lot of military clients, so I'm able to kind of, you know, banter them a little bit about um, my family's experience in the Air Force, and I have so many family members that are veterans or currently serving, so it's just something that's really ingrained in our family, that, that military culture, so I can kind of identify with my clients that struggle of, oh, relocating, starting over again, or that fear of the children's moving schools and readjusting and all that sense, so I feel like I can kind of translate my own personal experience and, and also the tools that I've gained from that confidence to my representation for my clients.
0: Yeah, you make a really great point about how uh, having that shared experience can sometimes make it easier to relate to somebody. You know, I guess I hadn't even, I guess I knew that, you know, military people moved around a lot and there probably was this just, whole slew of issues and problems that they have to deal with every time that they have to move. But now kind of hearing you talk about that, it makes a lot of sense that somebody who literally lived that life would be able to um, understand some of the stresses and the pressure um, that can probably develop in a family situation, having to, you know, pretty much uproot your life and move somewhere, you know, kind of on a whim. Um, So I guess... Let's turn to, I guess, kind of one of the the major questions that I usually start off these uh, interviews with. What what made you want to be a lawyer? So you've told us that uh, you kind of knew from a young age and that that was kind of the career path that you wanted to pursue. Uh, What kind of led to that desire and what kind of made you want to be uh, a lawyer?
1: A lot has to come from my father and I have to give him credit in the sense that he is a big history buff. Um, my dad always made a point to come home and have dinner with us as a family. And a lot of times that would start with us watching the news together as my mom, you know, prepared the meal or, or whatever was going on that particular day, um, My mom did like to cook a lot, so (laughs) that's where that came in. But at the same time, um, he would sit there with me and my sister and explain what was going on. And he always knew how to do it in a way that we were interested and age-appropriate. And as we got older, he would talk to us about politics. He would talk to us about how politics... Influence the legislation that we have and how the legislation impacts the community and how, you know, different things that we see as military kids, you know, as small children in Florida, you know, translate to what's going on in the White House and how eventually i wanted to be part of that process right um i always wanted to say too like in addition to being an attorney i wanted to become a senator i don't know about that now but
0: (laughs) (laughs) well this podcast is getting you some exposure this is step one raquel hernandez (laughs) senate 2024
1: (laughs) let's see maybe i can start out out smaller (laughs) Um, but so my dad really nestled in that love of history for me so i knew that It was a stepping stone to becoming an attorney. So I just figured, all right, let's go through my passions. Let's figure out what classes interest me. Um, Both my courses at CSU and UCCS really helped me in the sense that I kept getting these courses that were... About civil rights Mm -hmm. at some point, you know, either we're talking about the civil rights movement, we're talking about LGBT civil rights, we're talking about just the history of the United States in general, in the terms of the jurisprudence Mm -hmm. that we have. So it was just so interesting to me to get these little nuggets here and there. And I was like, you know what, I want more courses about this. And I figured, what's the best way to marry my interests there? I thought civil rights as an attorney would be that marriage, that marriage there. Right. And I was like, no, actually more experience and seeing, you know, what was a day-to-day life of a civil rights attorney and kind of the grueling work that what you needed to do to be able to come one of those attorneys that are arguing in front of the Supreme court. And, um, one of those attorneys that are working for the ACLU, right? And that necessarily didn't jive with my personal interests, but then I saw, the issue is going on with the LGBT rights in the regards of gay marriage, sure. same-sex marriage, I thought, you know what? Instead of going through the civil rights movement in that regard and sort of a history mind, I want to be part of it. I want to advocate for same-sex marriage. I want to be on the forefront arguing in front of courts that this should be on the books, that this should be something that's not something hushed about in divorce cases, something about... You know stigmas or anything of that nature. I decided that as a family law attorney, that I could literally be in the trenches and on the forefront of those issues.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. We had uh, Ryan Payton on the podcast uh, a few months ago, and she talked about. Uh, What drew her to family law? And it was a very similar answer as to kind of what you said, which was, you know, when she kind of first started, uh, same sex marriage wasn't a thing in in Colorado. Uh, There were uh, maybe a few states, there were civil unions kind of uh, going on. And it was... Uh, really the family law attorneys that were basically kind of on the front lines of this battle in when people were getting together and then especially when they were getting divorced and basically saying, you know, was our relationship real and how we do we distribute this property and how do we do child custody and you don't. I don't think for, you know, at least myself, it's not something that we naturally think of as like family law attorneys were kind of on the front lines of this marriage issue. But in many ways, uh, they were. And so it sounds like that it it was really cool that you were able to find uh, this interest in civil rights and then kind of take a look at it and say, you know, maybe that area of law and the stuff that I would necessarily need to do to get there isn't for me. But here's this other way that I can kind of be on the front lines every day and working with these kind of cases. Um, and, and that's, that's such a really cool, um, experience. Do you currently focus on a lot of like LGBT family law cases? Is that kind of like a subspecialty that you kind of focus on or do you do family law just kind of generally and, and as far as a, a bunch of different types of things?
1: So currently, that is, um, my practice is just generally family law, but it is my interest and my hope to start having a little bit of a specialty in that. Um, it's been one of those situations where it's just kind of, you know, are they coming to the firm with these, the, the right issues and type of things like that. So unfortunately, I've only had to, the opportunity to represent um, LGBTQ individuals a couple of times, and they they weren't the type of cases that you know, wouldn't necessarily bring excitement in the right, this, in right, right. civil <laughs> issues.
0: If only every single case we had was like the ones <laughs> on TV and exciting, you know, you like dream yes. of yourself. It reminds me of those, uh, those like Facebook, not, I guess, memes, but those like collections of pictures that are like what my parents think I do, what my friends think I do, <laughs> you know, what <laughs> yes. TV thinks I do. And then what I actually do just like buried in a book or like a computer, like typing out emotion, motion <laughs> um, there was one other thing you mentioned in answer earlier that I wanted to come back to because I think it relates to some of the topics uh, for some of the guests that we've had on recently, which is um, a lawyer's kind of role in social justice. Um, what role does a lawyer have in society um, as it relates to you know either civil rights or social justice or these topics?
1: You know, I really think that attorneys have a prominent role and if not one of the most prominent roles in the sense that we literally are able to effectuate the change that is needed and that is desired by the people. Um, That being, you know, attorneys that decide to go into Congress and literally write the laws and the legislation that we have on our books today, or maybe that's the social advocate attorney that is, um, you know, leading black lives matter protests down the street. Um, Or it could just be the attorney attorney, Um, getting ready for a case and talking to their client about the importance of respecting the judge and um, an importance of having um, decorum in the courtroom and addressing these issues in a way that is also beneficial to the case but then also at the same time going to the the root of things you know and one thing I think about a lot of time is um, as my experience as a family law attorney I get these complaints about you know, that's not fair, or I didn't have enough time, or I don't think they care. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, I need you to go to your legislator and tell them that, that you don't feel that the judges have enough time, that you don't feel that the judges have enough resources, that you don't feel that your children's needs are being met by, you know, various programs that we have, um, either in dependency neglect situations or just in general um, Issues of dissolution of marriage and, you know, coming up with a parenting plan, Um, if our litigants don't go and voice to the legislator the issues, how can we have that change? So part of the role as an attorney, I think, is to um, both advocate your client, educate your client, and then you know, push your client to actually participate in our system and create change. And then also as an attorney, we can kind of collectively kind of bring up some of these examples to the legislator and show how, you know, something should change. Oh, we think this should happen. Oh, we think that there should be more funding for this program and things of that nature.
0: And I think you hit the the nail on the head that um, regardless of whether it's earned or not, uh, you know, having the Esquire after your name gives you an air of credibility that your average person doesn't necessarily have, you know, and it's like uh, health issues, uh, or even in this pandemic, we look to doctors and basically say, you know, the, these people are credible when they talk about these issues, you know, we listen. And when it's a legal or a political issue, or this kind of social justice issue, people look to lawyers and be like, wow, that's somebody that I, you know, should be listening to. and so I think. It's It can be important for those lawyers to to speak out and to, to say, you know, hey, this is a wrong that needs to be righted or this is an issue that needs to be fixed. Um, and then as you pointed out, not only doing their own speaking, but empowering non-lawyers to speak and to find their voice and say, look, you've identified a legitimate problem. Here's, you know, here's the five or six people that have the power to fix it. Let me show you how you can get in contact with them and voice your story so that hopefully we can fix this for the next person that kind of comes in your shoes.
1: I feel like that's our role as an attorney. You know, of course, we always have our job to uphold the law and to advocate for our client, but then at the same time to um, advocate for change in an educated and um, you know respectful manner. And I think that's also a form of service to our country, too.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, regardless of whether an attorney wants to or not, people are going to naturally look to that title and whether it's deserved or not, whether it's earned or not, those are. Um, you know, I think separate topics. but you know when uh, there's a public health issue or some type of health related issue, people look to doctors uh, as as people that are more credible on those issues. And I think that when we're talking about social justice and we're talking about political issues and legal issues and how the law impacts uh, justice for different you know communities, people are naturally going to look to lawyers to lead kind of whether they want to or not. And it can be, uh, you know, really important, and I think the bar has been doing a lot of great work recently to really basically be like, look, like people are looking to us regardless, and we really need to lead on this issue and to um, help effectuate change um, on this issue. Um, I'd like to maybe turn to one of our, our main topics today. So, uh, if everything goes right, this, op- this episode is going to be dropping on National Coming Out Day. Um, my understanding is that you do identify as an LGBT, uh, individual. Uh, Is that, is that right?
1: Yes. I identify as bisexual.
0: Um, and, uh... Obviously, nobody can see you uh, right now, uh, but uh, uh, I also believe you identify as a person of color um, and as a female, um, and so uh, we wanted to uh, kind of have a discussion today about what um, that kind of uh, looks like. Uh, it, obviously, we know this is a really personal topic, and so uh, I really want to thank you for, for coming on the, ep- the show and uh, kind of sharing your story uh, publicly um, about you know what is a really important topic. And hopefully, uh, this podcast can um, provide some benefit to uh, other individuals who are kind of in this situation and are going through their own um, life experience. Um, I guess to kind of start, can you uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what your experience was in kind of coming out and when uh, you first kind of publicly identified as as bisexual and kind of what that experience was like?
1: So, I first came out to my parents um, in my freshman year of high school. And I came out as bisexual, and they were confused because at that time, I had a boyfriend. And of course, I told them, well, that that's part of it. <laughs> that's what that means, Mama. Yes. <laughs> it's not one or the other. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a traditional um, Puerto Rican Catholic family where we went to church almost every Sunday. Um, so I think my parents were just kind of confused by it. And really, I... I didn't come out um, necessarily to the entire community at that time, more so just kind of like my peers and my, my close friends, they knew that I was bisexual. It wasn't necessarily visual to other people and what they consider being out. And I'm doing air quotes here of out. Right, right, right. Um, So it it didn't really come to me, I guess, until um, my senior year of high school where I, I I can't even tell you where it came from, but just this girl would start calling me faggot in in the hallways, and telling me that she wanted to to fight me, like physically fight me because of my sexual orientation. And I grew up in this sense that my dad always told me that fighting is wrong, right? You know, and that you know I always needed to report any sort of threats to myself and. I had a little bit of pride about this issue and I was a little bit uncomfortable immediately going to the administration about it. Right. So unfortunately I decided to let myself um, linger for a couple months being called that in the hallway and it was just very uncomfortable when it got to the point where um, I felt like my physical safety was at issue. So I went over to the administration and say that, you know, this girl, you know, essentially tried to fight me and push me down the stairs. Right. Um, And it was just, it was a weird turning point for me because I knew that I wanted to go to, to um, law school. I was already accepted to CSU. I was kind of like on the gliding path at that point to um, getting out. So I didn't want to press charges. I didn't want to cause trouble um, over at the school. And I was just really embarrassed and hurt by it.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, and it, it was also confused too, that it seemed like it was, they were more focused on the, on the individual and how she had lack of goals and wasn't doing well in school. I know that that's also their role as administrators too, but it made me think too about um, you know how we treat people right and you know how we interact with others. So I went on to CSU. I didn't really um, dabble too much with the LGBT group there and I came to find myself kind of regretting that. And when it came to transferring to UCCS, I made a point to myself that I was going to be out, that I was going to join the LGBT student organization um, over at UCCS. It was called Spectrum. And I made a point and I did it. And I ended up becoming the club historian over there um, my last year as a senior at UCCS. And I really feel like it helped project me to um, becoming the um, president of Lambda over at Florida Coastal School of Law, um, which is also the LGBT Student uni- um, Union over there, and it was just one of those things that like my decision to come out just seems to have this like ripple effect, like doors opening, possibilities, and it almost like a sense of recovery from that that time in high school that people can point and and make. Um, allegations and make, you know, threats against you. But then at the same time, you know, here we are talking on a podcast about being out um, as an attorney. And, you know, I'm so I feel privileged to be able to have this conversation with you today, because um, I was worried about it as a law student, you know, what it would look like being out, Um, especially since I feel like I constantly come out. um, Because people don't know that I'm bisexual.
0: Right. And I think in, 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 there was actually something that we were talking about kind of, of pre-shoot. And first of all, I'll say it's a privilege to have you on the podcast and have these conversations um, Obviously, no one can see me, but I'm about as lack of diverse uh, as a a straight, white, able bodied man uh, as you can possibly um, get. And uh, as I was trying to prepare these topics, I realized that, you know, even though I consider myself an ally and I work in the bar and I have all the, you know, work with DEI initiatives about how much that I really have to learn. And so one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know, was, you know, tell us your coming out story. And your response to me was, well, it's something that I feel like I'm coming out all the time. And that was. That was really powerful to hear because here I was, you know, okay, you know, you come out and then you're out and that's kind of it. But, you know, it sounds like... it's not just, you know, maybe the first time you come out to someone is, you know, uh, you know, this monumental moment, but then there's all of these additional times that you have to come out because if it's not readily uh, identifiable, you know, people are not going to know. And so you're going to have to make that choice uh, or have that conversation. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that experience impacts you in the practice of law. Is it is this something that you you know have a conversation with about with clients uh, with opposing counsel? Is it something that you're get kind of comes up in the practice of law frequently, or what is what is that experience?
1: You know, for me, I want to say uh, it doesn't necessarily come out a lot in the terms of my actual day to day practice. I think it comes more so in terms of the social interactions with the buyer and then also within my firms. Um, Both my previous employer um, and my current employer over at Drexler are very supportive of my um, significant other, my partner, and also just me being out. Uh, You know, you can kind of tell by my bio who I am. Um, You know, I I also kind of reach out to LGBT clients and I ask for them to, you know, to come my way, Um, not necessarily just because for my own sake, but also just, you know, because I feel like I can help identify some of the, the struggles that they may have. Um, and I want to be that advocate for them. So for me, I think it comes out, um, in the community sense. So when I show up to the, the gala with my, my, um, significant other who is, you know, dressed in a, a tuxedo right. or something like that, and I'm wearing a dress and, and, and they see that, that difference and they're like, oh, okay. Right. Right. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, oh, okay. Okay. Some of those probably reactions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That makes sense. Um, there's something, uh, there's, a, there's a quote that I heard, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brian Stevenson, but he uh, is the leader of the Equal Justice Initiative, um, one of my heroes and does a lot of really inspiring work um, uh, for juveniles that are facing life in prison or on death row. He's argued several cases in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and one of the things that he uh, is really fond of saying is that there is power in identity. And that in identity we can we can find power to inspire others and to and to have that message. And it sounds like from what you were saying um, that that there was power in making the conscious choice to be a part of some of these groups. And you kind of contrasted your experience um, at CSU, where you kind of chose to not necessarily be active in some of the organizations. To when you moved to Colorado Springs and and went to UCCS, you made the conscious choice to be active, and then eventually ended up uh, as you know in super involved in um or actually I think leading you said um lambda at uh Florida Coastal um was there a specific i guess reason that you um you know chose to kind of make that switch or what was kind of the driving force behind that
1: well i i guess to go back to the the, the personal <laughs> the personal aspect of it truly i i actually just wanted to date females <laughs> uh, okay
0: okay so, hey, hey, hey fair again uh you know another another <laughs> aspect of re really not understanding the whole situation You'd be like you know it, it's i'd never even thought of that that if you know you identify in a certain way that you may want to be around other people that are eligible to date when you're yeah. in college big shocker there but
1: no because <laughs> prior to that I had always had boyfriends um, prior to undergrad, Um, so I figured, you know, once in undergrad, that I'd be sure to be always out, um, just not just for myself, but also to advance the community. But then, in the same time, for my selfish reasons of for looking for a partner, right, Um, right. And then I was also hopeful, and it seems to be true today that a little bit of a catalyst too for more leadership positions and. Um, you know more exposure within the bar
0: right that it all it all kind of builds on each other um, did you, uh, in your professional career, did you seek out other kind of diverse or LGBT um, lawyers to kind of have as mentors? Was there anyone, even if you don't want to specifically name them, well, was there anyone out there that kind of uh, gave you that mentorship and kind of helped you, you know, navigate that experience of being an out kind of lawyer in the world?
1: Oh, of course, I'm going to have to shout out um, the Camp program that's been um, pioneered or, um, at least currently led by, uh, Ryan Payton. And she was able to connect with me in the sense that I was coming from a out of state, um, Florida coastal course, you know, out of state school, but then coming into somewhat of a conservative County over Mm -hmm. in Colorado, opposed to, you know, say being up in Boulder or Fort Collins. Um, so here I am in El Paso County and I, I sought out particularly in, in my application to the camp program. I said, I'm looking for out attorneys to connect with, either somebody who's out there practicing as an ally or somebody who's in the field in family law out themselves. Um, I did not get connected with an out family law attorney in Colorado Springs, unfortunately, but I would like to be that connection one day for somebody else. Right. Um, and fortunately, I was actually connected with um, a great family law practitioner, um, Joey Cush, who is a a, a wonderful ally for the community. And she really has, um, you know, kind of led me into some of my other leadership positions
0: within the bar. And uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to also plug the camp program. Uh, If you haven't, go back and listen to Ryan Payton's episode uh, of our podcast. Um, And uh, if you've listened to all of the episodes, you know that I'm really big on tying themes together from past episodes. And one of the things that we have spoken about pretty much every episode is mentorship and how important it is to find a mentor and and honestly to find as many mentors as you can Mm -hmm. um, because of uh, how big of an impact and it sounds like that you know being able to find um, uh, mentors like Joey and like other people played a, a large role in both your professional and kind of personal development and kind of fitting in in this um, you know new area that you know there there wasn't a lot as you mentioned there wasn't a lot of out uh, LGBT family law attorneys uh, in Colorado Springs. Um and so uh I just want to plug that for anyone who's listening that you know regardless of whether it's diversity or whether it's a practice area or you just want life advice um having mentors is in my opinion one of the single most valuable things you can do as a young lawyer and a law student. And so if you don't have a mentor or you don't have a lot of mentors, uh make that a priority uh listeners because I think that that can prove um, Invaluable. Have you seen it now, I guess, kind of come full circle? Have you seen it now that you have had an opportunity to maybe mentor um, some law students or, um, you know, some people, newer lawyers, whether they're in family law or not? But have you, uh, I guess, been able to, to begin passing that on?
1: I think so. Um, I haven't met too many other out individuals in El Paso County just yet. Um, but I do see it in the sense of at least from when I was in Lambda over at Florida Coastal, um, you know, just in terms of tracking from people on social media, they can see me as a practicing attorney right. over here in Colorado and things like that. And um, a little bit closer to when I first graduated, you know, they did reach out to me and try to like figure out what were some of my connections in Florida and then also come to some of my experiences so that they can kind of build on that. Um, so that's my hope is that at least that uh, when I first came out of law school, that that kind of started that momentum there right. of kind of nurturing um, queer attorneys, LGBT attorneys right. in the sense of, you know, be out and proud
0: well, and I think, I mean, I think that absolutely counts. I mean, if you were running Lambda and there were, you know, I think we your two or three L kind of when you were in that role, I'm sure there was, you know, new one L's that were kind of joining that organization. And uh, at least when I was a one L, I know I was looking up to the two and three L's that were in the organizations that I were in, um, you know, it's. There's no rule that you have to have, you know, like five years, ten years experience in order for you to be a mentor. You know, I think <laughs> someone who's younger than you could potentially be a mentor if they have life experiences that uh, are valuable to you. And learning about what they've done and kind of helping uh, them or them showing you the path uh, or you showing another individual the path, I think that can qualify as, as mentorship. It doesn't have to be uh, um, as formal. Um, uh, let me ask you this. Is there... Have there been difficulties in the practice of law? Has there been, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the Springs, a great city, uh, not necessarily known as the most liberal bastion uh, in Colorado. Um, and have you experienced any pushback uh, w- from being out uh, and, and kind of in the profession, um, you know, whether that was you know, hopefully not a direct pushback, but, you know, kind of indirect pushback where you you felt like uh, there might be, you know, kind of some discrimination going on um, in, you know, in your experience?
1: You know, I have to say that I'm really fortunate, at least in the terms of the employment and like my interactions with my colleagues and even opposing counsel, I have not had, you know, blatant, um, you know, anything about me being female, being Latinx, like, um, being bisexual or out. I haven't had that pushback. Um, at least n- no one's ever really brought it to me in any sort of critique in that fashion. Right. Um, I do have to say, I kind of notice sometimes hesitation from clients that so, are potential clients. Um, and I see that a lot of times in the sense of maybe someone where they feel that there's a value conflict with my sexual orientation. I particularly don't believe there's a value conflict between someone who's religious and um, you know my sexual orientation. Right. But at the same time, some people think that there is a conflict there. Um. So sometimes I do see that, and it's a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, if that's something that's so important to them, then they can go get a different attorney.
0: Right. Right. We got uh, there. There are other there are other choices out there for you. I guess. <laughs> yes. uh, um, what other so we talked a little bit about lambda. What other resources are out there for um, either LGBT law students or young lawyers? Um, are there bar associations or different groups that um, can provide either that mentorship or camaraderie or support? Um, if you know if any young lawyers or law students are listening uh, who who do identify as out and are kind of looking for a group or an organization to join to kind of get that support.
1: I feel now more than ever before that there's organizations that are readily available for queer youth and also um, youth that are interested in practicing the law one day. In particular, I would um, encourage future law students or current law students to reach out to those um, student organizations and then also out to the bigger bar. Um, I was fortunate as a, I think it was a 2L, I went over to Um, lavender law up in new york and it was so awesome to see so many out attorneys at this conference it was like it was literally emotional for me to see so many queer attorneys at once i bet um because it's i don't know there's something about seeing people in their suits and dressed up talking about their experiences with their clients sometimes you hear horror stories and you're just like you're baffled um so i would encourage you guys to reach out to you know your your student groups also reach out to your state groups. So we have the Colorado LGBT Bar Association here. Um, I'm a member. I'm not super active, unfortunately. Um, with me in the Springs, but I I do love the resources that are available on the website for the bar, and also um, they have really good CLE presentations. And then there's opportunities just for networking and talking to other out attorneys and seeing how it is for them in their different practice fields and then also the various locations that they practice in.
0: And um, you can find all of that information um, online. So if anyone uh, has any other questions, uh, definitely uh, looking for that or um, feel free to reach out to Raquel or um, other, uh, Ryan Payton would be another great one of people that can provide um, those resources. And it's, it's so fortunate to hear, I mean, uh, somebody who's kind of on the outside, but, you know, has open eyes and is seeing this kind of develop, it does appear that we have You know, kind of broken the dam in respect to some of these issues and really um, created uh, an environment that is more supportive of uh, LGBT youth and stuff. Obviously, uh, it's going to depend on where you're at and what you're doing. um, And we have a a long, long way to go. Um, But, you know, I think that just kind of reinforces what we were talking about earlier is that there is this power and identity, and to go to a conference and see. All of these, you know, out lawyers that are, you know, just doing great work and are living their lives and to hear their experiences, um, you know, must be, you know, very reassuring. And it's something that I think, uh, you know, people that have privilege, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, like myself, take for granted because I never had to think. Oh, like, do I look like a lawyer? Do I act like a lawyer? Because everywhere I look, lawyers look like me, and so it was just a given that, oh, you know, you can become a lawyer, Kevin. Of course you can, Um, and you know, for for other individuals, you know, that not has not always been the case, and I think that we've. We've really done a lot of work over the last few years, but we have so much more to go to send that message that regardless of what you look like or who you love or any of that, like you can be a lawyer because there are successful people, um, whether, you know, you're diverse by one metric or five metrics or whatever, you know, like there are people that are doing it and there are people that are, um, out there, um, to, to support you. Um, I'd like to turn a little bit to national coming out day. And my understanding is that, uh, it falls on October 11th and that is a day that, you know, uh, people can kind of come out, uh, together. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what that is and and why it's important to kind of have this day where, you know, people can kind of come out together and be, you know, open about their, their sexuality?
1: Yes. So national coming out day, I think is important. In the, in the sense that it kind of leaves an opening for people who are still, you know, what we would say in the closet for their sexual orientation or maybe their gender identity. And it kind of gives them a little bit of a stage. I have been in places um, that celebrate National Coming Out Day, and we literally have people coming out in front of their family for the first time, and it's very emotional. Or maybe they're coming out to... Um, some people that are very close to and that they didn't know this situation, and the reason that we have the national coming out day is to kind of give them that platform for when they don't know how to have that conversation. When they maybe they feel that there's a values conflict, maybe they feel there's a religious conflict, maybe they feel that there's some sort of you know even political conflict if you want to get depending on where you're at in the right, world. Right, right, Um, So I feel like. The importance of that is giving that platform. And then on top of it, a lot of people who are even out in our common vernacular of what we know is out here in the United States, they will come out again to encourage those other people that are not out. Um, I like to take a point, actually, just even on social media, which I know is a very small platform, and, you know, I select who sees it, too. Right, right. And I come out. Every day on National Coming Out Coming Out Day, that I say I am a Latina and I am bisexual.
0: Wow, and and that's again, you know, like just having my like, lack of experience, I guess, in this topic, and and to hear that, you know, is. That this ongoing process and kind of the, the power of reaffirming that identity and uh, giving support to those who, you know, may not be quite there yet as far as feeling comfortable in their community or with their family or with, you know, their religious organization and kind of um, being out and to have the power of knowing that there are uh, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, uh, honestly, of people that are all going to be participating in that at the same time. And kind of letting you know that you're not alone and that you have that support uh, has to be, you know, comforting for people that. Um, you know, are, are, are maybe, you know, living in a place where it can be very scary. Uh, you know, I mean, we're in when Colorado and, uh, you know, certainly we have our, our issues here, um, but there are certainly other places around where it can be even sometimes dangerous to um, come out. And so to have that support of other people um, can be really powerful. And so um, I'm really happy that you were able to come on the podcast today and really give a voice uh, on this day. Uh, I know that the CBA and the CBA YLD are, are strong supporters of, uh, people living, uh, their true life and living their true selves and being open and and out. So that's, uh, is, is, is really great. And I really thank you, um, for coming on and sharing, uh, what are absolutely personal and emotional stories. And so I really appreciate that perspective. Um, one way I kind of like to end each episode uh, in, that, in line with that kind of discussing mentorship earlier. Um, if people are listening, whether they're law students or they're young lawyers and uh, whether they're, you know, Latinx or uh, they're LGBT or they're just interested in family law, um, do, are you open to people contacting you and kind of reaching out and having a conversation or grabbing some coffee maybe one day when this pandemic hopefully ends <laughs> uh, or something like that? Uh, is that something that people can do?
1: Yes, of course. So you guys can reach me over at Drexler. Um, My email address over at the firm is Raquel, R-A-Q-U-E-L, at Drexler.law. And I'm happy to set something up and we can even zoom in the meantime until we can have coffee.
0: Well there you go we can zoom we can have uh, we can have some coffee hopefully uh, one day so please do reach out to Raquel if you're interested in anything that we've talked about today uh, Raquel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. I uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day Thank you Likewise. Get legal with it.